Corey Lavander is our special guest, and he is the biggest Terry Gillian fan. Swade probably needs to get laid with Brad Dorf already, and Walter might be a little too into trash. This is Fake Folk Fans. Hey folks, welcome to Fake Film Fans. I'm Swade Best, the lowest common denominator. And Walter's supposed to introduce himself. He's real good at this whole podcast thing. Oh, I apologize. I uh, didn't realize it was supposed to be me first. Uh, but I am Walter. Out. I'm the perfect sound of a mouse click. You know, a constant addiction. You know, because when you click a mouse, you get that gratisfaction. <laughs> The gratisfaction, the gratisfaction, you gotta love it. Oh. And uh, Catherine uh, said that Batman is lame, so I buried her in my basement, and she's gonna have to dig her way out. This is actually what I heard from uh, Catherine. She said she's uh, her computer became a robot killer, so she has a legit battle, so she can't make it. She kind of has to save our lives. And replacing her today, we have Tori Levander. Yes, the I believe the aforementioned bitch. That's true. That's true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Tori, Tori is the podcast bitch. Here to procrastinate on writing papers and talk to his friends. Next week is going to be Christmas time. Christmas shenanigans in full blast. And before that, it's been Hanukkah, right? And so I just want to talk about Judaism a little bit. I am a Jew. I am a Jew. Um, and I've, I've never experienced actually any anti-Semitism, which is not to say it doesn't exist because there's a very attractive friend of mine who she has experienced some anti-Semitism in her life. I think it's because she's actually very hot, but I think the true anti-Semitism that all Jews experience is being really embarrassed and frustrated around other Jews who are just the worst. Um, I wanted to know. Tori, I know you're also Jewish. Walter, I've said this before. The Chinese are very clearly the Jews of the Orient. Uh, so, so, I just thought we, you know, we talk a little bit about Judaism. Let's just, let's just wrap on, on Jews. You know, it's, it's funny that you said the, um, the anti-Semitic stuff because I, I don't really think I've experienced any anti-Semitism in my life either, especially being from New York. Not a lot of people, not a, not a lot of anti-Semitic people in, uh, New York. But I, I, that did just bring back a memory that there was this, there was this kid in high school who, um, who was, who was Muslim, ironically, but would throw like change at me and be like, oh, you're Jewish, ha ha ha, pick it up. And I didn't even at the time, like perceive of it as anti-Semitism because I was just like, oh, he's just a fucking idiot. I don't know. He's like, he watches too much family guy. But do you, do you know do you know what I'm talking about, Tori? When, like, so for instance, I went to a city council meeting um, for my town, I guess my city, really. Uh, and it was it was real rough. Uh, five out of uh, seven people voted to make uh, it illegal to sleep on the street, made it uh, $250 fine. So all, all the homeless people are not going to have anywhere to go. It's fucking brutal. Um, thanks. Thank you, Mayor. He's he's fucking sucks. Uh, before that, there's this woman, her, I'm not going to say her name. Let's just call her Karen. Cause she's got some Karen energy. Uh, she, she shops at the place I work at. Um, and she's a fucking pain in the ass. And 
there was just like a general remarks section and she's wearing she comes up to like talk to the city council and she's wearing like a hanukkah themed menorah sweater and she just has a bicycle tire yeah and she holds up this bicycle tire and she starts talking about how roanoke is like the you know the hub of various places and she starts putting pieces of paper in between the spokes it's like here's the medical hub here's the here's the musical hub here's the the social justice hub you know and just like and like the mayor who's just like he, he looks kind of like steve harvey because he's black and bald and kind of chubby uh uh is just like looking at her just like what is this woman doing and she just keeps putting these pieces of paper and then she's she just looks at them and she's like when i just want everyone to know that this is how we should be thinking about it when we put our money in the city and then she says and i just would like to let you know that this is this is another night of Hanukkah, and I'm Jewish, so thank you all. And up until this point, up until this point, I was like, this is fucking fine, whatever. This is fucking crazy asshole woman with her white hair and her fucking silly holiday sweater. And then she says, I'm Jewish, and I was like, oh, man. Oh, that sucks. I wish you hadn't said that. I'm one of those, too, and now I really don't like that that's the case. It's fucking brutal, man. These fucking, it's just like, and we both went to Goucher, which is like Jew Central, so I know, I know you've experienced this, Tori. Yes. So before you guys continue, can I quickly ask a question for those who haven't taken the SATs? Not yeah. me, just trying to represent them because okay. they exist. Okay, I get it, I get it. What, what, what is a spoke? <laughs> no, don't, don't entertain this point. <laughs> First of all, what did you say earlier that was like, you, you said grassification, you said the instant grassification, you said something crazy, gratification. Oh, that's how you pronounce it? Okay. That's insane that you don't know what that word means. Here we could we could we could we could teach we could teach this without just teaching the definition. Because we could deduce. Okay. We could we could teach we could teach some deduction here, you know. You're gonna Start have to with... explain what deduce means to Walter. That's gonna be and we're gonna we we're gonna lose momentum. Okay. The spoke are the metal bars that go from the outside of the tire to the inside of the tire so that you can put it on the axle. So this lady how did this lady lift out a whole bicycle? Isn't is is she that strong? It was just a tire, Walt. It was just a tire. I wish it was a whole bicycle. And I'm actually not being 100% honest because she didn't lift up the tire herself. There was a large, heavyset man who'd never said anything who just held up the tire for her. It was very weird. He was wearing a green sweater. <laughs> I, I, it's like the weirdest, the weirdest shit. Anyhow, Tori, tell me about the time you've been embarrassed for being Jewish. Um, God. What, what times have I not been there? No, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I can't think of one specifically where I've been like, wow, I really wish I wasn't Jewish now. Um, because if anything, I, I just use it tactically to my favor. Uh, so yes. I, I'm Jewish when I, I want to be Jewish. And then when, when like, you know, when we were at Goucher and there was like the Hillel Zionist people, I'm like, <laughs> fuck you. I'm not, I'm not Jewish. But if, I'll, if I'll criticize you then I'll be Jewish. Exactly. I've actually, I've found that when I'm outside and I say something loud and vaguely inappropriate, especially if it's circling anti-Semitism, I will always say it in equal volume. And I can say that because I'm Jewish, just because I don't want anyone in my town to like suddenly be like, oh, there's Suede, the guy who hates Jews. And it's like, I mean, maybe, but like also I'm, I, anyhow, um, Walter, I know you, I, I've seen this happen to you where uh, a Chinese person has said something that really, 
you were super embarrassed about and I've seen your face fall. I'm not going to name names of these people, but I, I remember people doing this and your face just like, you just being like, I, f- I fucking can't with this shit. Do you want to corroborate? Uh, yeah, I, I, it happens, but I, uh, dude, it's, it's a little too early for my brain to think about this stuff, but... Uh, Walter, it's, look, we are podcast professionals. You need to be ready to go 24-7. But it's like 10 a.m. It's not that early, right? It's 9.30 a.m. Oh, it's 8.45 where I am, so... That can't be possible. <laughs> that, no, that oh, sorry. It cannot possibly be 8.45 where you are. Yeah, it is. It's 8.45. No, that's, 845. no, no, that's literally impossible. It's, eight, it's 8.30. My clock literally says zone. 8.45. Your phone? clock on my computer man i guess i'm the only one who gets embarrassed like that uh i mean i get embarrassed but like i get i i without the visceral moment of what just happens it's kind of hard to talk about it unless you talk about it and like oh well some asian person was trying to pretend they weren't as racist as white people and then i felt embarrassed about it and then we have to go into all the fucking nuance and politics of that and i don't really want to do that right now <laughs> i'm the asshole i'm actually where you said no it's just it's always anyhow you're fucking high on crack because it's fucking <laughs> eight thirty-two in west virginia so it cannot pop- motherfucker my first my f- computer clock says 8.45. What do you think you exist in a, in a time zone that's like 15 minutes ahead of the East Coast? I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I, I'm telling- No, I'm telling you that it's, it's, it's 15 minutes off. It's- I don't- I- I don't- I- I- tore it. Maybe I do. That also- Also, even if it was right- No, even if it was right, that wouldn't make any sense because as you go west- it goes backwards, not forwards. But what if I'm not walking west, Tori? Obviously. Boom. Roasted. Dude, I mean, I'm telling you, th- there were some serious snowflakes at this fucking at this fucking goddamn uh, city council meeting. There's this guy who runs a burger joint, and the homeless people have, like, camped out in front of his store, basically. Which, like, kind of sucks, because they, like, take shits out there and, like, smoke crack and stuff. Um, which I get is like not super chill, but he like comes up there and he's like, I'm not anti-homeless. I love the homeless, but you know, I can't have people shitting in front of my business. And it's like, fucking dude, just fucking handle your shit, man. Come on. The homeless people don't ever shit in front of my store. Maybe if you, maybe if you let them use the bathroom, they wouldn't shit. I, I honestly, I mean, like literally, there is so much. I, I was, I was livid. I, I, I was, I was. I mean, it's you can look it up. Look up Roanoke, Virginia homeless ordinance. It's fucking despicable. Hear that? Hear, hear that, listeners? Send your send your send your letters. Send your letters to the the the, the mayor, mayor of Roanoke, Virginia. I watched this French uh, this this short film by this French director chris marker chris yeah i'm gonna say i hope i'm not getting the name wrong chris marker did he invent the marker the marker like a crayola like a crayola like a crayola tori like a marker yeah like a toyota corolla like a toyota corolla do you think chris is a color in french <laughs> so is this how you guys do it you just like you start talking <laughs> and then you just like <laughs> interrupt all right tori go ahead talk about your fucking stupid ass french movie uh, Le Jet, 
the jetty, le jet. It's what's interesting about it is that it's a short film composed only of still images. Um, there, there are like they're purposely photographed to tell a story. They're not just like random collage together, but they are just still images. At some points, there are still images in a really fast sequence, or sometimes they're in a really slow sequence. But it's just the still images, and then like a narrator's voice. And then every so often you get some like some like whispery voices of the people. Anyway, it's a sci-fi-ish. Yeah, it's a sci-fi movie about a uh, world war a Paris a world post World War Three Paris. Like the whole world is basically annihilated, um, except there's now the last chance of hope is they're trying to send people into the past and the or the future to like get help because that's like the only chance of humanity's survival how are they going to get help from the future i don't know because it's like that they're going to help them get out of it or something you know help them get out of their predicament so they they use this guy who has a very like they use they have these prisoners and that's who they conduct the experience on one of the this is the the protagonist is one of the prisoners and through their test, they found that he's a very powerful imagination. <laughs> so they're like, oh, that's good. And so they send him in the, into the past. So they keep sending him into the past, and he, he keeps meeting. It's like, you know, just before World War III Paris, and he keeps meeting this woman who he, like, walks with, and he just wants to, like, he just, like, they just go on these random walks, but, you know, he keeps coming back to the present. And then they send him into the future, and then he meets the future people. They, they figure out how to, like, it's not really clear how they save, like, help them. How do they do this through just pictures? Um, it's a, well, it, it relies a lot on the narration. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So the narrator is, like, constantly telling the story uh, of what's happening. Um, what I also find interesting about the film is that it really, it kind of actually forces you to do a lot of, like, the work yourself. Because even, because not only is it just, like, pictures but like for instance the um the device that they use to like send him into the future is very clearly like a styrofoam mask that they've like very crudely cut out (laughs) and just taped to this guy's head it's like anybody could have done this it's like so it's kind of funny but it also it's it's kind of fun to have that as a movie because it really makes you try and force yourself into believing the story or being involved in the story in a way in which it's like, well, I'm going to ignore all of these things, even though it's so obvious that this could you know, not be real. Um, but I kind of like that uh, super low budget idea. Anyway, so they send him to the future. He meets the future people. They're able to save humanity. And they're now he's, they're going to execute the guy because they don't need him anymore. The future people who can time travel at will come to him and they're like, we'll give you any, what do you want to like come hang out with us in the future and it'll be chill. You know, we'll give you anything you want. And he says, no, I want to go hang out. I want to go back to this past because he wants to be with this woman that he was with before everything turned bad or whatever. And then they send him back to the past and then it turns out once he gets back there, that like the people from the present tracked him down into the past and killed him in the past, and that 
the mur and that and that this death as a child that he witnessed in the past was actually his own death. This this sounds it sounds pretty fucking sweet, dude. Yeah, I mean it's only and it's only thirty minutes, so it's totally worth the watch. I read that it was the influence uh, of I think Terry Gilliam made a movie called Twelve Monkeys, which is based on it. It's supposed to be like an expanded version of the. Oh, I know that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've not seen it, but I, I, I was looking at Terry Gilliam movies, and that one looks, that one looked, looked good. Well, I, I watched Tidelands, by, which was also by Terry Gilliam, and there's like, it's super weird. There are just extended scenes where there's this handicapped guy. He's like, men- mentally handicapped, and he's like, so he's like at emotionally at, a ch- at an intellectually at a child's age, and he's like really into this little girl who's like also into him, and like. If you if you were to remove him from the movie and replace him with a little boy, it would be like very cute. Like it's not even like sexual romance. It's like the way like weird little kids are like, "You're my boyfriend now," and they like hold hands and stuff. But it's just like old ass man instead. Super weird. Super upsetting. Super fun. I love Terry. I know Walter has mixed feelings. I think about Terry Gilliam. If I remember correctly, but I love Terry Gilliam's films. He's one of my favorite directors. And yeah, I think Time Bandits, Brazil, uh, Adventures of Baron. Munchausen. Wait, I thought Walter loved Brazil. I thought that was his favorite movie. No, what? Yeah, isn't that your that and and uh, what was the other one? Oh my god, what's his name? No, uh, Wes Anderson. Uh, you love Wes Anderson movies. I I have mixed feelings with Wes Anderson. I have mixed feelings with Terry Gilliam. They both make English movies. That's about it. That's the the similarities between them, unfortunately. But why don't you like Terry Gilliam? He's super weird. It's like that 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 uh, it's like super. It's always super uncomfortable. Terry Gilliam has bad taste in women and men, honestly. What do you mean? He, uh, I'm pretty sure Woody is not, is it, Woody, the, the main dude in, um, the old man in, in freaking Tidelands is pretty awesome. I feel like it's, it's, um. Jeff Bridges. Yeah, Jeff Bridges. Fucking Jeff Bridges is awesome. I haven't seen Tidelands, so I don't really comment on that. He had Uma Thurman in a couple movies. Oh, you gotta love an Uma. You gotta love an Uma. Right? Come on, Walt. You gotta love it. All I know is the most retweeted or quoted picture or screenshot, you could say, from Legette is that uh, picture of that girl on the beach where she has her uh, fingers in her hands and her hair is being swayed in the back. As a 16-year-old boy, that uh, did something for me and French cinema girls. Legette is definitely more pretentious. Um I, I was, which is kind of what I like about Terry Gilliam is that he's he's weird, but he's not pretentious. He's he's just genuinely very strange and not. It, I don't I don't think trying to be in a pretentious way, uh, which which I appreciate. I, but I enjoy it. I like legit. All right, all right. If I didn't really want to go into this in this conversation because it would like be a long conversation, but this is. Like if we're gonna use legit as what I uh what I can enjoy immediately and then compare it to something like Wes Anderson and Terry Gilliam, it's actually very related to what Tori said. Tori said legit allows for a lot of imagination from the viewer. So as a viewer, you have to uh, imagine exactly what is going on. The poems that Chris Marker is talking over, his voice overlay, the fact they're all photography gives me a lot of imagination, a lot of freedom as a viewer. I can also visually find it 
interesting however I want it. Wes Anderson and Terry Gilliam, I guess, have a little more of a direction in their movies. It's, it's true, their narrative. So Wes Anderson in particular is very particular on what type of style, style you have to appreciate in order to like his films. Terry Gilliam, in my opinion, has a bit of the same thing. He has a very particular style that's very related to the sci-fi sort of world he creates, and you have to buy into that creation. But I, I get what you're saying, this this idea, you know, like, uh, Wes Anderson, Terry Gilliam, and a lot of these, like, really, like, big-budget, like, very popular movies. I wouldn't say Terry Gilliam's very popular, but... I actually wouldn't I wouldn't say big budget films do that. Big budget films have more freedom than a sort of weird American indie film, but I think big budget films are very free in how you want to enjoy them. Like a Marvel film. Dude, everyone can get whatever the fuck they want from a Marvel film. They're all different directors. Look, I'm not saying they're very similar. No, no, that's that much is obvious. So would you compare it to uh, like a carnival ride, like a like a roller coaster, like because there's there's only one way to enjoy a roller coaster, right? You're only on one track. That was a terrible metaphor. I mean, I like the films. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are going to be Wes Anderson films. There are going to be Terry Gilliam films that I like. It's just, um, yeah. Sometimes I have mixed feelings about them. That's all. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll tell you. Really, the only the only Wes Anderson movies I like are the Royal Tenenbaums, and it's because it gets me hard when I watch the siblings kiss. I like that sexually. That's that's something it does it for me. Uh, and then I, I also liked Fantastic Mr. Fox. I remember enjoying that movie. There's I don't think I've actually seen a single uh, Wes Anderson film. Not out of, not purposely. Just if if you want to experience the Royal Tenenbaums, uh, just read Ann Patchett's The Commonwealth. It's like way better, um, and it like does everything that 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 movie's trying to do, uh, only without any pictures. It's, it's, it's a good, good. I don't really like Ann Patchett. I think he's kind of boring. But that book is really good. But it's a fair point. If I watch Wes Anderson or Terry Gilliam as a fourteen-year-old horny boy i probably like their films a little more dude your horniness as an adolescent kid dictates what you like in cinema whether people uh readily admit it or not and that's no that's totally true i was so horny for those little people in in and um fuck now i'm forgetting <laughs> the name of it um i just said it before oh um uh uh charlie and the chocolate factory yeah that gets me hard too the oompa loompas is that what we're talking about no, the Terry Gilliam one that I just said. Was it, was it, just was said it, it. Minecraft? Yeah. It was Minecraft? Was I right? You know what I like about Terry Gilliam too? And this is not really related to his style, but the fact that he has bankrupted multiple studios. <laughs> that is cool. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> because, because he does these super big budget films because he uses all these super practical effects. And he's was I think it was specifically The Adventures of Baron Munchausen where he got millions of dollars for this movie and it tanked and the studio I think actually went bankrupt because of this movie. And I think that's fucking fantastic. People really were upset about Tidelands because of all the like weird little girl old man energy. Like there are like a lot of people who were like this movie should not have been made. Um, it made my it made my stomach upset which was cool. I'm always into that. I watched the third Exorcist film. Um, I've not seen the second one. I've only seen the first one. The third what? The third Exorcist film. Exorcist 3. Exorcist. Yeah. Um, I've seen it before. This is my second time watching it. What did, wait, what, Tori, what did you think he said? Actually, that's very important, Tori. Can you corroborate?
Exorcist. I, I, I he didn't enunciate. I was like Exorcist, ex- Exorcist, Exorcism, Exorcist, Exorcist. <laughs> That's a new tongue twister. I just made one. Have you seen the first one? No. The first one's pretty awesome. It's not nearly as scary as um. I mean, it's just like it's like so so much a part of the cultural zeitgeist that it's not really quite scary anymore. Like everyone knows Linda Blair fucks herself with a cross, and the the cross gets all bloody. And everyone knows when she like turns her head around, spits vomit, and tells people your mother sucks cocks in hell. But so the third one has very little to do with the first one and more to do with the second one. I did not realize that, but I don't actually think that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What, what do you mean? I don't think the second one is uh, related to the third one at all. No, the second one is related to the third one. It's the first one that's not related, because the second one is kind of a direct sequel. No, the first one... No, okay, the second one is a direct sequel, but the third one ignores the th- second one's events. When, are, are you sure? Because the, the, the guy who's in prison is from the second movie. No, he's in from the first film, dude. He's the priest who has problems with his faith. And, oh uh, shit okay so yeah, yeah, yeah there's two yeah. priests right one is max von sindel sindel and then the other one is um the one who appears in the third film okay okay uh so i don't know what i'm talking about that's fine because that's kind of not what i wanted to talk about with this movie this movie's fucking wild by the way i think it's actually better than the first one um it's super super bizarre it's it's, it's also like brutal from the get-go the cop uh, finds this body. It's of this little black boy who's, um, and like the fact that he's black is very important. Um, uh, who's been like injected with a sedative and then, so he can't move, but he's still alive. And then, uh, this murder guy, the murderer, um, n- like cuts off the kid's head while he's still alive. Uh, and then, or hammers like nails into his eyes and then he he leaves the body crucified but he replaces the head of the black kid with like a jesus a statue of a jesus like a jesus statue head only he's like painted the jesus statue in like blackface like with like the big white lips and like the big super fucks like from the beginning um and basically like more people keep dying and like very quickly you the viewer realizes that like uh there's a dude in the bottom of the sane asylum who, uh, or, or the mental hospital, who's like going out and possessing people to do these murders. Um, and so I don't, I don't really want to talk about the plot. I don't think it's all that important, other than that it's just like batshit insane. Um, I want to talk about two things. One is Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif um, played is is the the killer, um, except he's trapped in the body of the priest that Walter mentioned earlier from the first film. Um, so the, the, the movie will do this thing where like half of the time he's, uh, the cop is like talking to the priest and the other half, it'll cut to Brad Dorif. And there's so many shots in this movie. That's just like a single one take one shot of just Brad Dorif dead eyed looking into the camera saying insane, crazy shit about all the fucked up ways that he's going to kill people. Um, uh, and he's always crying too. I don't know how Brad Dorf did it, but he's always making himself cry. He was the voice of Chucky, by the way. Um, Brad Dorf. He was also uh, in a really good episode of X, uh, Star Trek where he played a um, psychopathic alien. Um, and he, so he's got this like murder, murder boy energy down pat, and it's fucking phenomenal. It's it's super weird. But so it's 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 like very rare that in movies that I've seen where people like dead barrel the camera. And for some reason, that's just like it. It's it's it. Actually, it was scarier than I thought it would be because I'd seen it before. But I think I was like probably like playing video games or something while I was watching it. So the second time I just watched it just now, I didn't do anything else, and I was like very uncomfortable uh, through through a lot of it. 
Um, especially when there's just like this part where he just like looks at the camera and just like G- Jim Carrey style just starts like screaming about how the priest whose body he's in is trapped with all the demons and he's making him watch as like he like rips people apart and like stuffs them back together and like just does all this absolutely brutal shit and like spit is flying out of his mouth. It's fucking fantastic. Uh, and there's also like some some smart stuff that happens with like character names. Um, the movie's like way smarter than I thought it would be. But the other um, there's just like so many sections in my notes that are uh, <laughs> just says fucking fucking Brad Dorif. Um, but it's 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 fantastic. The the other thing I wanted to talk about though is um, Walter has seen Hellraiser with me, uh, which is another. It's probably my one of my favorite movies. I've seen it like five times, um, and. In it, there are these sections where the characters, you can't figure out why the characters are doing what they're doing. It's just like with these weird shots where like the characters are just like moving and very clearly getting ready to do something that makes no sense. Um, and then, then, they, then they do the thing and then the plot moves forward. And after I watched it for like the last the last time I saw it, I was like, what the fuck is wrong with um, uh, Clive Barker who directed it? I was going to say, didn't, didn't Clive Barker actually direct that? Because he wrote what it's based on too. Yes, he wrote The Hellbound Heart. And so on reading the Hellbound Heart, if you watch the sections of uh, um, Hellraiser where the characters are doing super weird like things and it's there's no explanation as to why, you can actually know why they're doing it if you read the book because there's like internal access that you get. Like because, because books and films are two inherently different mediums, you can't get internal access the same way. So instead of like trying to figure out how to display that on the screen... Clive Barker just chooses to ignore it and just has the characters do it. And when you read it, you're like, oh, you know, they're doing this because they have, like, this, like, kind of vaguely fucked up psychology because of abuse or, like, they're doing this because they're a hedonist, right? Like, there are ways that are explained in the text that don't happen on the screen. And I think that is probably true of this movie, too, because there are a few sections where characters will, like, do things that are are super, super, like, don't quite make sense as to why they're doing it. Um, and then... But it's based on a book. It's based on a book called Legion, um, which is the name of all the demons. Um, and it, it, it does something else Hell, Hellraiser does. And I was thinking about what Walter was saying about taking uh, movies that like move you in directions rather than let you sort of play around and experience them. Um, like good, good horror movies that are from horror novels will do this thing where um, they'll just have these shots of like rooms and they'll just like look at the different objects in the room. And it's very clearly... Um, it's very clearly the sections in the text where they would the text would just be describing places, um, but like the the hallmark of good horror lit is that everything promotes a sense of dread. So as you're describing these objects, there's like a sense of dread that's coming through the objects, and the movie, the good movie, good horror movies do it the same way with like the length of the shots and also like the the music and then the, the lack of music. Uh, the third Exorcist is like full of like silent scenes where there's like no music, just people walking. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, so I, 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 I think what, what I really like about this book is ha- this movie is that it, it feels like a book almost like it does everything that I want a good horror novel to do. Um, you know, like there's not really any like super lame jump scares. The jump scares that do happen are like, um, almost like not jump scares. Like, uh, uh, they're just like good cuts that like make you get startled or something like that and stuff like that. It's like, there's never very rarely just like a monster pop out in front of you and you, it never feels cheap when you get scared. Um, the other wild thing about this movie is the end because the end, uh, uh, the cop 
is like arguing with with Brad Brad Dorf, who's like possessed, and all these like lightning bolts are coming down in this little padded cell because it's like raining and storming, and uh, all these like uh, lightning bolts are hitting the ground, and then just pit opens up, and then there's just this little boy's body. This, this like arises from the pit. It's like been crucified with like this 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 uh, fetch and step gollywog like Jesus head. It's absolutely nightmarish, and I I actually don't think this is like maybe a complicated statement. I I, I would actually be interested in, in hearing what you guys have to think. I, I I think sometimes good horror will push some buttons that maybe are not okay to push, like um King King does that sometimes. Uh, uh so does um Kath Koja and Poppy Z Bright. Both of them will like make their characters do stuff that's like pretty morally reprehensible and maybe not i i just wonder where the line is between trying to talk about something so upsetting as as like you know like race-based violence um versus using it as like a a set piece a piece of set dressing i I don't know if like morally it's wrong or right i'm not really interested in that question but I, i i i i am i i wish it's it's not the movie that you can let everyone watch because of a lot of the content. So interesting fact, Exorcist actually has a small history with race stuff. Oh really? Because the initial original Exorcist was uh considered like when it was completed uh the production company who made it thought it was going to be a complete shit film. So they played it in very select screenings in like very white nice neighborhoods only. But the movie theaters would fill the fuck up, and everyone, like from uh, places that were not so white, would travel all the way to these white neighborhoods just to watch Exorcist. So, I honestly watched Exorcist three also very recently because of uh, when you told me you were gonna talk about it. I also noticed the race stuff, and I just think horror is you. You don't create fear, right? You show what you're actually scared of. No matter how uh, people want to pretend they're super woke or whatever, racial tensions scare people. I will say, though, the other thing uh, that I really liked what you said about Exorcist 3, though, is that um, you said the main priest was always crying. And I actually thought that was really cool how the Exorcist 3 did it because... Uh, initially, he's talking about Brad Dorif, right? Like the, the the yeah, he's just always crying. It's so fucking weird because he gets fucking punched so hard that his nose gets broken in the very beginning when you meet him after a huge rant. And what ends ends up doing is that he has to wear a bandage over his nose. Oh yeah, he does. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. therefore, the crying always leaks into his bandage throughout the whole film. So it's very normal in a horror film or in a, uh, one of these dumb action films where someone like punches someone really hard in the beginning of the film because I'm a masculine donger man, you're a masculine donger man, and we get angry at each other, so we punch, and you're true evil, so you punch. But that punch actually l- allowed the crying to look like way more visceral because it would always leak into his bandages. Yeah, 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 so yeah. the corner of his bandages always had that wet yellow puss mark. Mm-hmm, I will say too... Exorcist 2 is actually my favorite Exorcist film. I've heard it's super weird. It is. It's super. It's even more racist if you really want yeah, to Yeah, because it's, it. like, yeah. it's got like... Now uh, I really like, want to watch all three. You should. You should. But the, the second one's got like Mesopotamian demon gods, right? It kind of like falls back pretty hard on that like dangerous savage god energy. Like, you know. Yeah, and they always talk about going back to Africa. Yeah. Every, like literally probably that line appears in like 30% of the movie. So, yeah. 
But that film has Locust. And for me, there's something very, very unique and special about Locust in horror films. I don't know what it is, but Locusts are scary fucking insects. Do you think it's just because you don't like bugs? No, I hate bugs, and I'm, I get annoyed at bugs, and I get angry at bugs. I'm not scared of mosquitoes, right? I'm angry at mosquitoes. If a mosquito wakes me up because I'm fucking itchy, I'm fucking angrified. I mean, you are also scared of bugs, though. You are, like, also very clearly afraid of bugs. Well, no, but, but that's, like, that's, like, literally biblical, though, right? Like, Oh, yeah, like... no. Well, that's the thing. The, the, the god, if I remember correctly from the second exorcist, the, 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 the villain, the, like, demon god is, like, one of those, like, pre-Abrahamic faith gods that, like, Moses is all, like, you can't worship these anymore. But the thing about uh, fearing locusts is very different because I'll eat a locust. Locusts are tasty. They're like fried chips and uh, salt. I'll eat fungus. Fungus are tasty. But fungus and locusts are scary in the same fucking way. You don't understand how they can become individual things and become a mass amount of swarm. Or, and they don't connect in a sort of mutter load board uh, I'm a mother and I'm bringing all these people together. They connect in that sort of, I don't, what, what do people it's call it? It's called a swarm. The, the, it's a the touchy, touchy. No, stuff. it's a swarm. I mean, that's what's terrifying, right? I mean, same thing with like, uh, you know, swarms of ants, right? Like a whole bunch of things all together at once, seemingly moving autonomously, but also like connected, right? Like it, it's like, you know, when, when people talk about plagues of losis, they're literally like waves, you know, like waves from the ocean. They're, they're insects that are moving in tandem like as if they're communicating but all we see are these like gross mechanical beings like you know they're it's they're super alien is what it is it's like the most there's no you know that i and i think that's actually why people are so into flash mobs is because they i don't they're not really anymore i i think the thing about flash mobs right is that they all it's like very rare to see human beings move in tandem at the same time that's why people like dance so much too um and right, that's I, why, like, whenever flash mobs would happen around me, I'd, like, fall to my knees and scream in horror and, like, tear I my mean, hair out and be like, oh, God, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know when birds all move at once? I mean, that's, like, the other thing. That's, and people think that's super beautiful, right, when the birds – it's because they're not antagonistic, right? But, like, when you see a swarm of locusts, they're about to decimate your crops. But there's a difference between a swarm of locusts and a swarm of ants because ants, you imagine a queen. You think of it in a concept on a film or something like that, in my opinion. A Swarm of Locusts, there's nothing uniquely scary about it because it's so uh, leaderless. But I want to go back to something Walter said about horror, which is that it's actually just a representation of what you're afraid of. Because I was watching an interview with Ari Aster, you know, um, Hereditary and um, Midsommar. Midsommar? Is that what it's pronounced as? How are you pronouncing it? Midsummer. That's all right. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, he talks about with both of those films that it's like, yeah, he, he, he talks about them on a very personal level of like, this is just what my anxieties or my fears. And I, when you entertain those to a certain degree, uh, I was just gonna say King says the same thing. Um, like if you, if you, uh, what good horror does. Well, I think that's what, why when in good horror, in good horror when you can feel it is because that's what's going on it's not like it's about openness right it's about like it's about vulnerability i mean i i the, the reason i mentioned king a good bit is because i've read a lot of his nonfiction. there's not a lot of other horror authors whose nonfiction i've read um who talk about the writing process um but uh misery uh 
some the, the the scenes that like are so brutal to do with addiction some of that has to do with the fact that it was the first novel he was writing after getting sober um uh um and and if you read pet cemetery if you read pet cemetery i mean he he wrote that book like like maybe he started writing that book after his first child was born after his first son was born and you can just feel the anxiety right i mean it, 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 i don't know if you know pet cemetery but it, it involves the death of a child in a very brutal way I always thought Pet Cemetery was spelled with an S, but I've never thought cemetery as a word was spelled with an S. Isn't that weird? Okay, so Pet Cemetery does start with an S. The the S the cem the S in cemetery in Pet Cemetery does start with an S. They like make a point to mention that, even though normally it's a C. Oh, so it is an S. Okay, so I was correct. Yeah, they talk about it with an S in in the book. Not in, but not normally. I mean, it's not spelled with an S. It's it's spelled with oh. a C. But when they taught the word, okay, Jesus, fucking Christ, the words pets, the word cemetery is spelled with a C. In the book Pet Cemetery, the gates above the pet cemetery have an S, and they make a uh, they mention that it's spelled with an S. Oh, okay. No wonder I had that weird thing in my head just now. Did you read that? Did you read Pet Cemetery? No. <laughs> then how did you? Uh, then there was, you know, I guess the cultural, uh, the cultural signifiers. <laughs> oh no! Spreaded its little fingers into my brain. Little brain, little kissing brain. I, I love, I love that. I love that he just says, "Oh well, that makes sense. That's why I thought it started with an S." Did you read the book? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, Tori, I think what actually what's come from this podcast is that Walter and I are capable of absorbing cultural information without looking at the primary text. Sure. That well, that's not cultural information. That was that was him saying I I have uh, absorbed uh, a a, mi- a minor detail about a book I did not read by telekinesis. I forgot the actual thing I was going to say now because that's okay. It was probably stupid. No, I okay. I remember. <laughs> oh, great! It was about mis- <laughs> it was about misery. Because I, I have... I it did, loves company. Only... <laughs> the, I, I, the line, one, of the, one of the lines I remember from Misery is when he's describing when, um, you know, she's, like, been gone for a while and, and she hasn't been feeding Misery, the cow, and he just hears, like, the cow and the pig, like, screaming or whatever their noises are from the barn because they haven't been fed and it's cold. And how after a number of days, like, he can't, the, 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 the animal, the sounds just stopped. And I was like, for, for whatever reason, those lines, that was like the, the, one of the most, like, the gut-wrenching part of that book. I mean, there's some, some pretty, in, other intense scenes, but that was like, I don't know. Well, I think that's, I think one of the, one of the, one of the hallmarks of horror is taking away a sense and, and, and embellishing the other, um, because you can't, if you just have a page of like it looked like this, and it's, I mean, there are like people who do that. Lovecraft did that a good bit, and it's why. I mean, he's a, he's not a great human, but also it's why some of his work is like feels super dated. Is so like his worst stories are the ones where he describes everything with multiple senses. The best ones that he's written are the ones that's just one sense, because then he can really get into the nitty gritty, the snickle fritz. Um. Uh, and and you know good good movies you know they've only i think that's what makes horror interesting 
in movies is there's only two senses you can engage with visual senses and auditory senses. And I know this is true just for horror films in general, that something interesting about it is right. Is that even if the plot isn't interesting, that the, the acting and the, just the creation of an environment and scenes can carry the film, which it sounds like actually that this one did. Yeah, no, it's it's like it literally the best parts of this movie are like Brad Dorif being insane. I have like kind of a crush on Brad Dorif. Like I, I realize like some of my like weird like uh, sort of physical attraction towards like crazy bad guys. Like sort of I, I re- I've been I've been watching Batman because I'm a child. Um, and sometimes I'm like, man, I would kiss the Joker. I give Joker a kiss. I give him a smooch. I uh, Brad Brad Dorif in this movie, he has similar energy. He has he has similar he has some Joker energy. Oh, he's hey, he's still alive. Hey, Brad Dorif. Hey, Brad Dorif. If you're out there, yeah, yeah, get at us, Brad Dorif. I will. Uh, we can go on a date. You can tell me about all your cool movies. You can try and scare me a little bit, and then maybe like we we could like kiss some, just maybe a little bit. Also, David Boreanaz, if you're out there, David Boreanaz too. The film I brought is actually it's actually kind of related to Exorcist, funny enough, because it's a thriller too. Um, it's a film called Limbo, a new Hong Kong film that came out recently. Uh, it's been kind of nice to move back to Hong Kong for that reason, though. Uh, seeing Hong Kong films, recent Hong Kong films, more available. One of the only nice things about coming back to Hong Kong, honestly. The film is about two cops that have drama, and there's a very fucked up serial killer. So they're obviously smart cops, but because of their drama, it gets in their way. As opposed to woke serial killers. Yeah, the normal sort of uh, films like Seven, right? That's a good example of it. It's in black and white, though, and it looks incredible. I don't know what the fuck they did, but the contrast is so good. Uh, The Chinese name is directly translated as Wisdom Tooth, and that's because one of the cops has a Wisdom Tooth problem throughout the whole film. The movie called Limbo, or is it called Wisdom Tooth? The English name is Limbo. The Chinese name is uh, directly translated as Wisdom too. Okay. I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about Limbo in a little bit of a different way because uh, I actually want to uh, talk a little more less about the film in particular and talk more about what the film uh, reminded me of a type of cinema that I fucking love. So, Limbo is one of the dirtiest films i've seen in a very long time and i don't mean dirty in like pornos i mean dirty in like filth dirt i also want to clarify because this is a serial killer film so of course there's like blood and sweat but like blood and sweat all that stuff that's boring that's lame that's not like the cool type of stuff right like you can also be you can also be dirty through the snow or rain because you're wet it's not or even like sex like you know like very big sex films they're always covered in sex juices right you mean like kind of like, like 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 trash dirt, like trash juice, trash dirt, mud and sand and all that stuff. That shit was like super cool to watch in Limbo. And uh, one of the examples I have that I immediately thought of when I was thinking about this stuff was that uh, there's a famous book that has two movie adaptions. One of the films is French, Wages of Fear. And one of the films is an American, The Sorcerer. And Wages of Fear is set in the desert. The Sorcerer 
is set in uh, the jungle. So in the jungle, you get rain. Uh, you get nighttime. It's dirty. It's not as dirty as, per se, the desert, where all the dirt you get is just them covered in, like, filthy, filthy oil. So I prefer the French adaptions so much more purely because of that. Because of the oil. That's, like, a good example of why I think blood, uh, sweat, snow, rain, it's cool. It's just not as cool as the physical, like, getting uh, drenched in fucking shit. It's why I hold a special place for uh, horror films that aren't just about uh, blood, right? So I know uh, a film like I Spit on Your Grave is super controversial, especially because it doesn't handle rape well at all. But the fact is, that film... It's dirty. There's so much dirt. Yeah, it doesn't get talked about because she... There's like so much actual physical dirt. Exactly, because for her to escape that uh, fucked up situation, she just plows through trees and fucking rolls around in dirt. And there's so much dirt. She So she's bloody, but there's also like so much dirt all over her. And I fucking love that part of the film. So I just read um, I just read this book called uh, Darling Rose Gold. And it's a, it's a thriller. I don't normally read thrillers, especially. But but I, I picked this one up because my boss said I is good. And I, it was. But so basically it's about this woman who goes to jail because she's been making her daughter sick, like Munchausen style. Um, and like when the woman gets out of jail, her daughter's like, come live with me. And part of what the mother did was make her daughter get sick all the time. So there's all these descriptions of how fucked up her teeth are because she's like been vomiting so much. Um, and it makes me want to brush my teeth. And I think that's actually, so I totally get what you're saying. Cause that's what I liked about this book was I would be reading it. And I was like, Oh my God, I need to like go fucking brush my fucking teeth. It's, it's like, there's something like, yeah. super, you know what else? Does? Texas Chainsaw Massacre does that too. The scene where she's like covered in feathers and she's like super sweaty. Um, that's yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like being dirty is uncomfortable visually. Yeah, it's not just the sweat; it's the sweat and the feathers combined that makes that scene. It's so... the feathers, the dirt. Yeah, and I and I really like that. So compared to another film that a lot of people think is very dirty, but I personally don't uh, love it. So a movie called I mean, I I love the film, but I don't love the dirt aspect of it. There's this film called The Descent. Yo, that movie's fucking great. And yeah, they're in a cave, so there's a lot of dirt in it, but they're kind of uh the dirtiest scenes are they're kind of always in the water, yeah. right? Because they're what's it called? Limping? Yeah, they're limping. No, no. Snoop snort snorkeling. Do you mean spelunking? Spelunking. Yes. That's the one I'm looking for. I feel for. like people who listen to this should take a drink every time I interrupt Walter, and also every time, which is going to be a lot, and also every time Walter struggles with the English language. I, I don't also, I, I think we should make it clear that this is not like a, a uh, this, Walter has as much trouble speaking any language. This is not like a English versus Chinese thing. This is like a Walter just doesn't know how to speak words. But no, I think Descent is a great film, but I don't, I mean, the thing is, their uh, dirtiest scenes are the ones covered in that gory water. Yeah. So there's a bit too much gore for me in a way. I'm not saying, oh, it's not fucking dirty enough for me. I'm just saying, like, compared to I Spit on Your Grave, I prefer a, a film's dirt from I Spit on Your Grave compared to Descent. Yeah. It's... I think I think the key is relatability, right? Because everyone's like taken out the trash and like sp- spilled garbage juice on their hands or like fallen down a hill and gotten covered in mud. Very few of us have like 
fallen through blood caves and like had to deal with like like so like <laughs> some of some of some of it feels like so insane in in the descent to where it's like i spit on your grave like we've all like been in the woods and scraped our knees and like it stings but it doesn't just sting because our knees have been scraped it also stings because like there's like mud in it and like your hair is all like filled yeah, with you're twigs like, worried about the fucking mud in your fucking scabs and you're like fuck is this an infection so a new movie, a new rape and revenge film came out recently called Revenge, French film. I mean, it's very memorable because the main actress is like some, I don't know, probably some model. She escapes into the desert and gets revenge on all the people who are in that house slowly and slowly. But because she's like kind of a model and stuff, she kind of wears like sparkly jewelry, has like stuff like that. So her pink uh one of the most iconic uh jewelry she has is this pink uh earring that's a star and she just puts it on too and when it's all filled with dirt comparatively to like what you imagine her like clean version is it's pretty cool besides horror and thrillers though there's some other really i don't know dirty films that i really really care about and uh the first one i want to talk a little bit about is woman in the dunes and it's about a guy who, like, falls into a pit of sand on accident, and there's just, like, this random girl there. And because it's sand, he can't ever climb out of it. Oh, actually, he doesn't fall into it randomly. I think someone puts it puts him in there. But suddenly, he's trapped in with a girl, and he doesn't think she's pretty, but it's just him and the girl in a wall of sand. They can't climb out because sand, you know, is unclimbable. <laughs> and... They have sex in sand. And it's just so text, text, textile, right? And you know, that was actually based on a novel that won. I can't remember the award. What is the title? What was it? It's like a big, it's a big deal, Japanese literary award. It, it's a super, it, the novel might even be more famous than the film. But in the film, you can watch the sand on their bodies as they uh, have sex. And I just wonder, do you think having sex on sand is very soft or is it prickly? Um, so I've never had sex. I'm a virgin. I've th- I ha- I haven't had sex on sand, but I have I have thought about this. I have thought about this because it's like one of those things, those really like those romantic things of like oh sex sex on sex 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 on the beach sex sex sex, sex on the beach. Sex. That would be fucking terrible to have sex on the beach. It would yeah, there would be sand in every crevice that you would orifice. Yeah. Every anything that's wet, you know, grabs sand. So think about it; would be terrible. It would be an awful experience. Here, here's the one thing I will say that I think it would be cool is like maybe not like the like actual mechanics of sex. You're like like right as you reach the, the intended goal, as you reach climax, and like a giant wave crashes, and like it it would be good, it would be a good snapshot. Like it seems like something that would be like a sweet cover for like uh, a hair metal band, GQ magazine. I was gonna okay, sure. GQ magazine, fucking yeah. So we were talking about sex with the uh, sand stuff, right? And I don't really care about uh, porn in an artistic way. I don't really care about gay porn too much. I would dabble, but it's not my main sort of uh, enjoyment per se, right? It's not. Do my you mean main... to jerk off too? Yes, yes, I do mean that. I think he does. <laughs> in the 1970s in LA, they had a really huge gay porno scene. One of the first films I watched from there is Grease Monkeys, which is a gay porno scene, a gay porno film about truckers in Greece. It's fucking dirty. Do you mean in 
grease like they're they're covered in grease car grease yeah okay so they're not from grease they're not from the the no they're not no no a couple things well i was gonna comment on the grease that i was gonna say i love that this that this guy who's uh getting his his dick sucked is um looks like he literally just rolled out from underneath a car and he's just got you know his wife beater on and he's yeah he's He's covered in grease, and uh, you can't even see his dick. It's which is which is interesting. Uh, well, that's also because I didn't show you the movie, and I've only shown you pictures. But this is definitely a porn film. You can get hard and come through images of real sexual organs. So you know, actually, when you when you work around oil a lot, one of the ways to actually clean up oil spills, like if you're like working in a car garage or something, is to just pour sand onto the oil, because then it soaks up all the oil and you can just like clean it up way easier. You can do it with kitty litter too, but kitty litter is more expensive than sand, depending on where you're located. There was this time I I was biking and I fucked oh, up my ready. bike. This is gonna be such a good story. You guys ready? Podcast, you be ready for this really great Tory Lavander story. I fucked up my bike chain and I had to put the chain back onto the, the like the gears and I didn't have my gloves with me which I used Wait, I learned the word for that. Yeah, it's true. He put it on he had to put it on the spokes. Spoke, yeah. No, no. Gears. The, no, the gears, like not the spokes. The spokes are on the tires. If you have to touch the chain of a bike, my hands were black when I was done. It was terrible. I had solidly covered in grease in, in bicycle grease and i didn't know what to do except i was wearing a white feeder so i just took off the white feeder and i got as much of the crease off on this white feeder as i could and i was just this and it was in during the summer so i was like drenched in sweat um i was like drenched in sweat in new york it's fucking hot i'm covered my hands are like basically black now my shirt is all fucking disgustingly black and i'm just having a shitty time and i'm like fuck this i i, I should just i should just go home and and and, and just finish this bike ride. Except I saw a bar nearby and I was like, you know what? I'm going to get a drink. And so I put back on my fucking now ruined uh, tank top and I walk into this bar and I'm just like, I, I, I don't know. It was just a very funny experience feeling like the most disgusting, <laughs> yeah, dude, dirty me I've up. ever felt. You, but dude, you busted me <laughs> up. A gut. Oh, my, oh my gut. Well, here, here's the thing, Tori. This is why you need to watch more movies. Because if you watch Grease Monkeys and your hands were covered in grease oil, the first thing that you would have done and learned to do would have been masturbate. I feel like I should be vindicated for saying I was an asshole because that was an incredibly boring narrative. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. No, actually, Tori, can I can I tell you one of the things I love about the way you tell stories? You, you'll tell a story that has like a traditional like arc. And the, the story will be finished. And I was like, that's a good story. That's a good story. And then you'll continue. And it's like, you don't need the extra bit. You know, you could cut it. It would have been great. No, but the funny part, the funny part was that I went into this bar just uh, drenched in sweat and covered in grease. I thought the funny part was that you took off your shirt and cleaned it up. So that's, I <laughs> well, don't, maybe I just don't, maybe I just don't understand. Maybe I just don't understand what I think is like an interesting narrative in my head is not to, it's only to me i i really i like it when you tell stories because it means i get to bully you and that's really i think yeah yeah it's important to me 
Yeah, I'm just not good at. I don't know. I don't think there's a better way of telling that story, though. I don't think it's it, it has anything else interesting to offer. Uh, do you think um my love for dirt and films has anything to do with uh slime? Can I say this? Can I say this actually about the the bike the bike incident the bike story? Okay. Did you meet a slime girl? <laughs> no, but I will say this. There was a part of me. There was a part of me that actually did enjoy being that filthy people are like looking at you especially when you have grease all over your shirt and your hands people are kind of looking at you like you're a crazy person and no nah, dude it feels i hate that good. <laughs> no it feels good i like i kind of like it well let me be clear at the end of the day at the end of the day i want to get into bed clean i don't want to get into bed sweaty and covered in grease but i do enjoy like in, in, in especially when it's really hot i enjoy sweating so much that it just pours into my eyes and i'm drenched like it feels good to, to be that, that. When the academic tries on poverty oh I'm, I'm taking a break from grad school to get all sweaty and cover myself in oil oh no it's not <laughs> <laughs> no because because there no because i think on a day-to-day basis we avoid those and i myself included we avoid contamination so once we're once you're once you fucking dip your hands in grease, it's kind of like oh shit. Well, I guess the barrier is broken now. And then you you know how like you know how like in war in some like war films or like in some horror films, for example, the protagonist will like get you know increasingly dirtier. It's just like there there's a point at which they're like, well, fuck it, I just don't care anymore. And I have to go on my rampage, and it's like. That's the the point where the barrier is broken, and they'll just accumulate whatever amount of filth without cleaning themselves. I I wish we could have I wish we could have wars in air conditioning. Um, Walter, what what job what would your job be in the air conditioned army? No, I just it, I, Tori's talking about the the blood and oil and the sweat and all that stuff, and the thing that sticks out to me is I hate sweat. <laughs> so I would be a but I would want to do oil. I just want to do want to do sweat. So you're talking about you're talking about the academic trying on poverty. Look at Mister. I like to watch game and fucking grease. Says I don't like to sweat. No, no, Walter. Walter is the pinnacle. The Walter is the pinnacle of that. Sure. All right. So I have to. I I, I before I actually talk about limbo, which I haven't done yet. <laughs> oh, I still want to talk about my most favorite, 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 favorite of all time dirt films. Uh, there's a Polish film called Canal. Uh, it's about World War II, where the Polish lose, and in order to run away from getting, uh, you know, war prisoners or getting very unfairly treated in war, they run away through the sewers. And it's real story. Like, it just executed it so well, in my opinion. Like, soldiers were super covered all the time. You could see, like, uh, weird sort of exhumed fumes from, like, the waste and the poop come out from the pictures, too. I really think uh, Canel was the first film that I watched that got me into thinking and appreciating that type of stuff in movies. So, I I mean I don't I think uh, I think you could blame this film for my love for dirt. But uh, Limbo itself was very interesting and very unique because uh, Limbo's dirt wasn't. We talked a lot about different types of dirt and all this stuff, but Limbo's dirt was specifically trash bags and stuff. Like city so, dirt. City dirt. Yeah. So, of course, there's that uh, metaphor. Uh, humans in Hong Kong are trash. The film's brutal. 
there's corpses in trash. Uh, there's uh, rape in trash. There's drugs in trash. So it's not exactly an easy film to watch. And I'm not gonna sit. I'm not. Uh, it's one of those uh, dirt films that you can't really fetishize because it is very uncomfortable. But it's done really, really well. And um, one of my favorite scenes was uh, this: uh, the main girl in this film uh, offends a bunch of people by selling them all out to the policeman. And they're throwing all this trash on her. And Hong Kong trash from restaurants is always going to be noodles and soup. So she's covered in noodles and soup. Um, what also makes Limbo kind of interesting with the trash stuff is trash is a little more uh, stuffy. Like it's a little more like... it's Yeah, it's like physical. It's corporeal in a way that sand and dirt isn't. Exactly. So you can see the stuff in this film... It's very, very vis- visceral, and you can actually, like, there's so much stuff, it becomes hard to concentrate on anything, right? I don't know, you start imagining, like, why is this, like, it becomes an I Spy book, right? And I'm thinking about, like, the art director who created this film or worked on this project, and the director was like, I need this scene, it needs, like, 600 trash bags full of trash. Do you think the art director went out to buy fucking trash bags and had to like pay money or they just went into the waste basket and just fucking took trash bags full of trash and just put them side by side into like the scene that's a great point that's like the 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 best acting can come from like actually having to confront things right so like i think it would probably be more fun if like you had some not more fun but like easier to act or whatever if like you're like lying in the garbage you're like snooping through the garbage to find the fingerprint of the killer and you're like actually like oh man this is fucking like this is like johnny's chicken bone lunch that we that we like grabbed from like fucking the trash um that man johnny always (laughs) has the stinkiest sandwiches I mean, how funny! How funny would it be if it like the the art director gets there and just starts unloading this van packed full of you know dumpster trash bags? He's like, "Yeah, I just got a free, I got a free Coca Cola. Some woman thought I was homeless. She gave me a free Coke." Just reek. I I I have to carry my um at the end of uh the week at the store that I work at. I have to bring the trash out um because my boss. Uh, to, to tell me, told me, tells me to, um, and I always just bring it to my car because I can recycle it. I can like stop at my, the recycling center on the way home. It's like way easier. Um, but it does mean I have to like walk to the parking garage where I park. And I, there are some days where like I like I know my boss isn't gonna be there, so I haven't shaved, and like I'm wearing like ratty pants and a t-shirt. And it's happened probably like five times in the last month. That I've probably that's not true. Probably like three times the last month that I've been mistaken for a homeless person, uh, just because I've like got three giant trash bags and I'm like chain smoking and like probably talking to myself. Um, and I've just got like three trash bags filled with stuff. And um, one lady actually gave me. I I I stopped. I put my trash bags outside and I asked if I could get a coke. She's like, yeah, sure. And I was like, give me one second. I started looking through all my pockets to try and find my debit card. And I like couldn't figure out where it was. And I knew it was in there because I just used it uh, a little bit earlier. I'm looking for it. I finally goes, you, you, it's okay. You need this. You need this. And she just gave me the Coke. And I was like, okay, okay. And I just like got my bags and I went back to my car. And I'm like drinking the Coke. And I'm like, ah, she thought I was a homeless person, huh? Okay, okay. Um, I will say that like in New York, if you wait for like for some apartment buildings, right? Like if you wait for like the trash pickup day, in some big apartment buildings, you know, the supers will bring out all the trash 
and there'll be like 20 trash bags piled up on the sidewalk. I mean, if you showed up before the, the garbage van came with a van, you could take all that trash. I mean, that's... Dude, I wish that... That's the one part I like about... Dislike about my neighborhood is like when I go through my neighbor's trash because like to see if there's like cool shit in there, they like always... Not... They get like weird about it. When? Listen, that, that was the crucial word in that. That sentence was when. Yeah, well, you know, because, like, sometimes someone's, like, getting rid of a bunch of cool shit, and it's like, oh, look, there's, like, a dresser. I wonder if there's, like, cool shit in the dresser. And they're like, Swade, stop looking through my oh, trash oh, again. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I thought that you meant that you were going to your neighbor's trash cans and, like, digging through their trash. I mean, if there's cool shit in there, I mean, like, what if there's cool shit in there? See, I thought this was easier for you to do because you could just play it off like a raccoon got them. That's true. I could do that. I, I'm going to have to try that. I'm, what if I dress up as a raccoon and I just start going through people's garbage? I'm like, ooh. ooh. Well, they think you're homeless anyway, so it won't matter, you know? I remember going to my these two metalhead friends of mine from high school over to their place, and we were just like, we would like sit and chain smoke in their garage. Um, and I just remember going outside of their back porch once, and my, my buddy... I'll call him C. C's like sitting, sitting outside, and C's just like taking a massive rip on his bong, and I'm like sitting there. I'm on my like fourth, fourth Marlboro light, um, and and C like blows this massive wave of pot smoke, and just looks at me. He's like, "You want to do something cool?" I'm like, "Yeah, I guess." And he just like takes out this like plastic jug full of cat food, and just like shakes it, and then just like four raccoons just crawl out from under his porch. And just, like, come up and look at us. And, like, I, I literally fed a raccoon. Uh, like, just, like, I'm, I, I remember I was, like, sitting there. I was, like, I just dropped out of college. I'm afraid I'll never be able to go back. But I have cat food and, like, dry cat food kibble in my hand right now. And I'm feeding it to a very chubby raccoon. So things are, like, okay right now. I think, <laughs> See, now, why is that a better story than... It has emotional weight, Tori. It has emotional depth. Me and that raccoon understood each other. That pathos. So I think that's going to wrap it up for fake film fans. I want to thank Tori again for being our special guest and making the sacrifice to pop in while Catherine is busy saving the world. Swade, you have anything else to add, maybe? I feel like without Catherine here to like mitigate some of our like terrible energy, this, this episode is going to be particularly unlistenable. Um... So I, I, I look forward to Catherine's speedy recovery from robots or whatever. Um, whatever dumb shit Walter said earlier in the episode. Um, and I, I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, you're going to watch a movie. Do it with the lights on.